Today, I'd like you to turn with me to the fourth chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Pastor Connie continues our Sermons from Selfies series and looks at how selfies can tell us how we've grown as a person and ways in which we still need to grow. Let's listen together. Kids sure do grow up fast, don't they? Is it me or did all those kids grow about five years in the one year of the pandemic? I have an image here. When you don't see someone for a long time, there's a lot of growth. And so there's Brady before and after the pandemic. Look at how remarkable that is. We are in a sermon series entitled Sermons from Selfies, in which we are using selfies to discover scripture that applies to our lives. And today we come to the theme of growth and how um, you can mark a person's growth through the selfies that they share with themselves over time. This sermon is for you if you are feeling parched and wilted and burnt out by the relentlessness of life. Uh, If you feel the need to put out new, green, lush, vibrant leaves. And this sermon is for you if you're stuck, if you're in the doldrums and you long for the wind of God's spirit to breathe new life in you. And it's for you if you have a lot to learn and practice as you are living your life for Jesus. This sermon is for you if you're young or old or in between, even if you think you've arrived, even if you think you have grown as much as you can grow, as much as you're going to grow, this sermon is for you. We're reading in Ephesians chapter four, verse seven. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. And I want you to know today that you don't start growth at zero. God's love language is gift giving. God has a lot of love languages, but our verse highlights the gift giving nature of God. You know how satisfying it is when you hit upon the perfect gift for a certain person and um, I think that the enjoyment of seeing their eyes light up and the anticipation of having them open that gift is just such a delightful experience. Now men are very, in particular men, are very hard to buy gifts for, in my experience. So if you get a very good gift for a man, wow, that's that's hitting the jackpot. That's how good it feels. We celebrated Robert's birthday a little over a week ago, and many birthdays I think really hard about what I'm gonna give him and eventually I just throw up my hands and give him some clothes. (laughs) But this year we got the perfect gift. Look at this. This is a bug assault gun. Bug assault, you put table salt in there and you shoot the flies and you kill them that way. Have you ever heard of such a thing? It's got a Laser pointer. Look at that. I can hit the fly really good. Oh my goodness. Robert lit up when we when he opened this gift. Robert can show you all about it afterwards if you're interested. He loves it. He walked around the house for a few days carrying it just in case. 
looking for the intruders of the small, dark, winged variety. He showed it off to visitors. We hit the jackpot. That's going to last for at least 10 years of gift giving, Robert. Because then we can't, we can't do that again. That was so good. Well, unlike me, God doesn't throw up his hands when thinking of the perfect gift. He is an excellent gift giver. And no one who comes to him and turns their life over to him will go away empty-handed. Everyone gets a gift that is suited for them, one that satisfies their soul that they're itching to put to good use. Your gift, which you receive when you decide to follow Jesus, is perfect for you. And my way of kind of symbolizing that I receive from Jesus is to put my hands together like that and and acknowledge that he has given me good gifts. So you know how it is when you open a gift, um, you open a box of perfume, you dab a little on, and then you send it around the table for everybody else to dab on too. Or you open a box of chocolates, it has to be seized chocolate, and you pick the one you want, and then you send it around the table for everyone else. Or is this just in my family that we share our gifts this way? God's gifts are perfectly suited for you. They are meant for you to enjoy, but even more, they're meant for you to share with others. And my way of symbolizing that, if I have received my gifts, then putting my hands out towards other people and sharing those gifts is my tactile way of, of expressing that. So God loves you. God has given you a good gift probably more than one. The next six verses of our passage are one long run-on sentence. Paul just got carried away, so he kept on writing without a pause. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4, now verse 11. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. There are lists of gifts in the New Testament elsewhere, longer lists, but here the Apostle Paul speaks of the gifts which result in the proclamation of the gospel, the gifts of the word, the ministry by the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. And these are foundational gifts whereby we hear about Jesus for the first time where we learn about the faith. And the job of those gifts is to equip everybody else to empower everybody else to fulfill their own ministry. So there it is again, the emphasis that all of us have gifts to share with one another. Our gifts, Paul says, the work of our ministry are to be used until, he said, all of us come to the unity of of faith. Unity is a pretty big word, especially in these fraught times. Here's where we get into trouble because there are some people you do not want to unify with. There's some people you don't really want on your team because they're too slow or too hot-headed or too clumsy. So I'm going to take a poll. How many of you were picked first on the playground for the team games? How many were you picked first? Yes. Was that Deanna? Robert. Robert would be an asset. Who else? Is that, was that Brenda? Well, we know Brenda. 
would have been an Olympic track runner if she had had the resources given to her. We already know Brenda. We already know you, Brenda. Arlu, yeah. you were picked first? Mm. Okay, well, let me ask this. How many of you were picked last? Okay, there's more of us than there are of you. Okay. We love, we love to have those first people picked on our team because we know that you are going to carry 75% of the outcome of the game on your shoulders. But you can't win a game with 75%. You can't be in two places at once, so you need us, even though you groan inwardly at the thought. Have you ever watched kids' sports? We who are picked last are the fielders who get distracted and are sitting down in a field blowing dandelions when the, when the ball is hit our way. We are the two soccer players. This, I don't know if this happens in boys' soccer, but in girls' soccer, it happens. They happen to meet in midfield and then they start chatting important friend things when the ball and all the play is swirling all around them. They're oblivious. We are the confused player who shoots an excellent goal into our own net. But what I'm saying to you is that following Jesus is a team endeavor. A solo Christian has completely misunderstood the point of faith. Everyone has to cross the finish line for a win. I was mesmerized this year by, in the Olympics by the events that put men and women on a team together. And they didn't get a medal until everyone complete, completed their part. So the standout solo performances were important, but it was the aggregate that counted. And likewise, in our faith walk, we don't stop giving to others from the gifts that Jesus gave us until all of us, every last one of us, comes to a unity of faith. Unity of faith, that's a very high bar. But it goes higher with the next phrase, unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So knowing, knowing in the Bible isn't just simply head knowing or book learning, no, it's personal knowing through firsthand experience. It's the knowing of relationship, of intimacy, the next big word is maturity in that verse. And the original uh, words literally say perfect man, becoming a perfect man. Well, we know there are no perfect men here. We already know that. What? None of those around. And to be clear, there's no perfect women around, although some of us do come close. Can I say that? That's not fair? Okay, all right. Um, so that's our goal. Look at that, to maturity. Uh, the next word is, and here Paul throws in the kitchen sink for extra emphasis to make our goal crystal clear, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. And if it wasn't clear in the last word of maturity or perfect, perfect man, then that we have a ways to go, it becomes crystal clear now. You like to measure things? You like to measure yourself against others? 
Do you come out looking good? Well, we are to measure ourselves, measure our church against the full stature of Christ. You know, there's great vulnerability and humility baked into living for Jesus, just in case we ever get tempted to pat ourselves on the back. We just have to look at Jesus. In case we think we're the cause of our success, let us measure ourselves against the stature of Jesus, the one perfect man on earth, and that will bring us down to size in a hurry. Each phrase in verse 13 stacks upon the previous one, moving the standard higher and higher until it's almost out of sight and practically out of reach. This is the goal of our faith. One person said the work of ministry, ministry, that's us using our gifts, has to do with becoming what we already are. It's geared to having the church arrive at fullness that is not yet perfected. How better to reach that goal than to practice the enemy-loving perfection of Christ? That's a pretty high standard there. Enemy-loving. That's the savior we have. Mm. I'm so happy that our goal is unattainable because what if our life goals were accomplished and surpassed, say, in our 20s? I know someone like that. Her goal in high school was to work in the Hollywood industry. She went to college. She graduated. She got some prime internships. She got right in, and she's been climbing, climbing that Hollywood ladder ever since from one job to another. And her real high goal, her impossible goal, was to meet Leonardo DiCaprio. Check, she did that. She met him at a party, she bantered with him. It was about guacamole, I know that much. Had a whole thing going on with him. So I looked at her at age 24 and I said, well, what? what's left for you to do? But then I remembered she had another goal. Her third goal was to own a house in Hawaii. So she still has that one that she has not accomplished yet. And I admire her for her persistence and her hard work. I admire her for keeping her goals in focus and achieving them. All of us should have these kinds of educational, relational, professional goals. But these types of goals are too low for those who follow Jesus Christ. Our goal is to use our gifting from God to build up the body of Christ. And building is hard. Tearing down, easy. And maintaining the status quo is easy, but building is hard. And we are to build the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of Christ to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Robert and I and Elena are taking care of a two-year-old this week, uh, Zaire. He's a Lauren Callum son. Toddlers. Oh, the joy. <laughs> and the havoc. We have to have our eyes on him every, every minute he's with it, us, or he's going to get into trouble. Paul goes on in our passage to tell us in verse 14, we must no longer be children, think toddlers, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. Maturity is urgent in the Christian life 
because immaturity puts one at great risk. People's trickery, that is a word that is used of dice games that are fixed or cheating. And craftiness and deceitful scheming has nuances of a, a wild animal, a predator tracking its prey. It's dangerous to be a toddler in the faith. Elsewhere, Paul has called out some perpetual infants in those early churches for always wanting milk and not graduating to solid food. So there's a difference between soaking up worship and faith and Bible study and church for years, but never putting it to service. It's when we have incorporated Christ to the extent that he comes out in our words, in our actions, in our deeds, that the maturing occurs. And even then, we have to give credit to God for his transformation. Someone said holiness, and that's another word for maturity, holiness, that is conspicuous, tangible, or perceptible, is not holiness. None of us is holy by virtue of what we believe or don't believe, by what we do or don't do. God is the one who makes holy what will always remain unholy. Holiness is a relationship with God, established by God. It is never finished. For humans, it will always remain a quest and a goal. So that's our impossibly high standard, the path of adventure that we are on in our faith. And our standard, our goal, will be met one day. But it won't be because of our hard work. It won't be because of our strength or our talent or our energy or determination. All those traits are really helpful to our faith. But our perfection, our maturity, is guaranteed on the other side of life when we see Jesus clearly, face to face, instead of dimly, as we see now. So as an encouragement, Paul continues in verses 15 through 16. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. We have spent the last few weeks in the youth group talking about anger anger. Anger tells us something is off. Every person, every family gets angry. And when we do, we start walking down a reactive path, a reflexive, non-thinking way that we have always dealt with anger. We have walked this way before plenty of times. We know where this path will take us and we know what the outcome will be and that it won't be very good. But anger blows past our logical self, blows past our boundaries, and anger can easily lead to breakages, sometimes of things, but sometimes of relationships. Some people explode outwardly. That's open aggression. Some people go quiet, but they let their anger out without words, little acts of, uh, of Non-confrontation, but letting you know. That's passive aggression. And some people bury it inwardly where it implodes. That's suppression. And in the youth group, I've been encouraging the kids to find another way, depending on God's power and transformation, to start practicing assertive anger instead. 
And a very helpful verse in that process is Ephesians 4:15, to speak the truth in love. It works in all kinds of circumstances, but also as a model for assertive anger, which confronts the point of the anger, but damages neither ourselves nor the people around us. Speaking the truth is tricky for people who don't like the feeling of conflict, because sometimes truth can cause conflict. Speaking in love is tricky for the others who like to bulldoze a conversation with the truth. We get it right in the body of Christ when we speak both truth and love. And in the arena of anger, it means that we have to respond rather than react. We have to cool down. We have to struggle to get from anger to love. I don't know if you've noticed those two don't mix very well, like water and oil. The internal struggle, which would rely on prayer, which should beg the intervention of God of transformation, is part of the process of maturing to perfection. When we've got it right, when we get angry, you know you have matured. You're practically perfect right there. And working in dependency on God so that love is the arena of confrontation. That's so tricky, isn't it? Then we must speak the truth out of love. Letting it go won't help us or the other person improve and having it underground with signals but not speaking is confusing. Loving and truthing go hand in hand. So we're trying to practice this, this uh, verse in the youth group. Look at our kids growing up. There's Colby a year ago before the pandemic. There she is now. Beautiful women. Actually, when I first saw them after not seeing them for a year, I said, are they women now? Is what I thought in my mind. Our kids are growing up. Now, I've told the kids in the youth group that if they lean into the transforming power of God, they will be more mature in their 20s than some adults who have not yet learned to deal with their anger. There are some seniors who have not yet learned how to change from reaction into response. So if our youth don't do that work now, they're going to have to do it the next decade or the next or the next or the, however long they put it off. Oh, just grow up. Has anybody ever told you that? Well, we sometimes don't want to grow up. I frequently heard people in their 20s longing for their childhood again back in the days when they were carefree and uncomplicated. And I so enjoy the nostalgia of 20-somethings, and I completely agree with them. There are lots of times when we do not want to grow up. We resist the responsibility, we resist the work. But we have the privilege and the honor and the advantage. We have the strength and the power of growing up into Christ. Our verse says, grow up into Christ. And it's a picture of a baby whose head is bigger than its body who with the nourishment and help of the head will grow all of those connective tissues filling out to be what it was intended to be all along. We get to grow up 
as we are connected to Christ, the resurrected, the living Jesus Christ, the head and the source of our, of our faith. When we press towards the goal of knowing him, he fills us and pulls together all the disintegrated parts of our lives. And then I'm just going to mention, if you notice, that the last word in our passage is agape love. Maximum growth happens in an atmosphere of love. So how is your growth coming along? And we can't ask that question without the follow-up question, how's your gift giving coming along? Because they're interconnected, they're linked together. God is the one who gives growth, but we can't grow without each other. And each of us needs something that others have to give to us. And everybody out there certainly needs love that we have to give. So let's bow our heads. And ask you, Lord, again, as we do every day, for what we will need today, and then a little something to share with others. Dear Jesus, fill us with the knowledge of you, the relationship with you, with the presence of you, and confirm in us what gifts we have to give other people and then make us generous the way you have been generous with us. Guide us, Lord, as the head of this church, guide us, Lord, and give us what we need to be good to each other, but also good to the community and to the world, to be gift givers ourselves as you have been with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.